0: Thank no. you. Have you ever wondered what all the hype was about something? Like, have you ever watched a movie that everyone seemed to think was incredible and thought, really? I don't see the appeal. I've been working in youth ministry since I was 17 years old, and one of the perks of working with teenagers when you're that young is that you can relate to them a lot more. I was essentially the same age as the students I was trying to reach, so I understood their language, their fashion sense, and just the youth culture in general. Now, fast forward seven years. And I look at my students now and I think, man, I am so out of touch. I've never felt old until this year. I look at the way that my students dress and they talk and I think, I don't understand any of this. Apparently, skinny jeans aren't popular anymore, but I'm stubborn. I will continue wearing skinny jeans my entire life. I'll be rocking skinny jeans when I'm 70 years old. If you've never worn skinny jeans, it's life changing. It's like wearing a hug. It's incredible. It reminds me of the love of God. And that's why I will never change. And I'm sure my students are already starting to think that I'm out of touch and that I'm old. I might be the only person who thinks skinny jeans are superior, but I stand by my beliefs. Sometimes you can feel like the odd one out if you don't view something the same way that everyone else views it. And to be honest, that's exactly the dynamic that I'm facing today. We're in a Christmas series. And when Darren asked me to share during the series, he said, I just want you to answer the question, when I think of Christmas, I think of blank. And honestly, the first thing that came to my mind when I filled in that blank was the time that we had to call the police on one of my family members on Christmas morning. See, when I think of Christmas, I think of family. And for me, that's not a good thing. Many people view Christmas as a time for the family to come together, give each other presents, and spend quality time over a nice home-cooked meal. People look forward to seeing their loved ones all year, and it's a time of reconnecting, and, and the goodbyes are usually long and heartfelt. Maybe you can relate to me when I say that's not what I think of when I think of my family getting together for the holidays. For me, when I think of my family getting together, warm, fuzzy feelings don't come to mind. I think of conflict fighting, yelling, arguments, cold shoulders, picking sides, storming off of family dinners, holes punched in walls. For a long time, I did not look forward to my family getting together for the holidays. We've had Christmases where we've had to call the police. I know I'm not alone in this. For many people, family is not a happy word. For many people, the word family is associated with a lot of pain and shame and heartache. And if that's you today, know that you're not alone. For many of us, going home for Christmas is not something that we're looking forward to. And so if that's you, I want to share a few thoughts from the Bible on how to prepare yourself for dealing with people that you don't get along with. Oftentimes when we deal with family, a lot of, we can deal with a lot of negative thoughts, feelings of shame, labels, and lies about who we are. So since we're facing these things, it's important for us to know what's the truth. So imagine you go home for Christmas and you sit down in your living room and those three family members that you don't want to see are there. They're sitting right across from you. The three that you're dreading to interact with are sitting right across from you. Let's look at each of them. The first one is this, if you're taking notes, past Patrick, the one who won't let you live down your past. We all know past Patrick. This person is that family member or friend who constantly treats you as your past self. Maybe they've heaped shame labels and insults at you that have stuck with you forever. You're lazy, you're insecure, you're ugly, you're annoying, you're shameful, weak, pathetic, entitled. Maybe you have a past that you're not proud of and past Patrick likes to remind you of it constantly. And they treat you as if you're the same person no matter how much you've grown. Maybe you've tried to leave that part of your life behind. Maybe you've tried to grow in Christ, but when you're with them, They waste no time in reminding you of the way you used to be. And oftentimes, they treat you as if you're the same person. I saw a quote the other day that really stood out to me. It said that some people, especially family, will choose to remember and recognize only the version of you that they held the most power over, no matter how long it's been or how much you've changed. For some of you, this is what you're afraid of the most. For some of you, you've tried to leave your past in the past, but those closest to you have a way of bringing it back up and heaping shame on you. So that's the first one, Pass, Patrick. Here's the second one if you're taking notes. Critique Curtis, the one who always criticizes you. This person is not bringing up the past, they're too focused on your present and they are ripping you to shreds. The way that you dress, the way that you look, the job you have, the person that you married, the way you parent your children, how nice your home is, how bad your cooking is, critique Curtis, wastes no time in finding all of your faults. They have a way of zeroing in on all of your insecurities and they know just the right buttons to push to make you feel like trash. Not only that, but they feel like it's their responsibility to bring these things to your attention. Nothing you do ever seems to be good enough for this person, and they waste no time reminding you of that. They're so much better than you in every way possible, and if you simply listen to their advice, you too could be great, just like them. When you're with them, you feel little, you feel broken, you feel ashamed. You walk on eggshells around them because at any moment, they could pick you apart and find fault in even the smallest actions. Okay, The third one is Negative Nancy, the one who is overly negative. This is that one family member that is just a bummer to be around. They complain about everything. Life is never good enough. They're always the victim. They love bringing people down with their negativity. Maybe they always subject you to hearing the latest conspiracy theory about how the world is coming to an end. There's a demon under every rock and they feel like it's their responsibility to enlighten all of those around them. Maybe they force debates about politics and religion on you. Debates that always seem to include yelling and name-calling. Negative Nancy's life is miserable, and they love to share that feeling of miserableness with the people around them. Now, for many of us, we know that at least one of these people are waiting for us this Christmas, and we are not looking forward to it. We know that our past is going to be shoved in our face. We know that our lives are going to be picked apart and criticized. And we know that we will be surrounded by a cloud of negativity. I mean, we're already calculating the minimum amount of days to spend with them without seeming rude. We're already trying to come up with excuses that we can use to get away from these encounters. So what do you do when you know that the holidays will be tough? What do you do when history has proven that time spent with them will be toxic? What do you do when your own home and family is not a safe healing place, but rather a damaging toxic place? We know that as Christ followers, we're supposed to be loving and to forgive those who have wronged us. So how do I show love to people who actively tear me down, bring up the past, create a negative toxic environment? And does being a Christ follower mean that I have to expose myself to toxic people in the name of love and forgiveness? The reality is you cannot control how your family acts. You can't control the words they say or the things they do. Oftentimes trying to control them just makes things worse. The only thing you can do is control your own actions, your own thoughts, and your own mindsets. And that's actually going to serve as our big idea for today. If you're taking notes, write this down. You can't control others' thoughts and actions, but you can control your own. So go into this Christmas with this at the front of your mind. For the next few moments, I want to lay out some biblical truths for you, for us entering into a holiday season where we know things will be toxic a few truths to help us to get into the right mindset, to protect our own hearts and minds, and to best honor God, our families, and ourselves. So if you're taking notes, here's an important reminder for those of us dealing with toxic people. Here's the first mindset. I am made new in Christ. I am made new in Christ. It's easy to allow the words of our family to cut deep at us. It's easy to believe their attacks about who we are. And for those of us who've maybe had a past that we're not proud of, but we're trying to turn a new corner, The words of our family can feel like they're holding us back. They can make us question whether we really have changed. We feel like we're making strides towards serious life change only to have our feet knocked out from underneath us and doubts about our progress slip in. We need to remember as we go into this holiday season a key from scripture. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, God has provided us a way for our sin and shame to be dealt with once and for all. Our past doesn't matter in God's sight. He's taken our sin and shame and he's died with it on the cross. Yet so often we're quick to pick that shame back up. Listen, if you are in Christ, your past is the past. Jesus died for it and it died with him. That's why Paul says that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. See, by living in the shame of our sin, we're placing ourselves back under a works-based righteousness that says that God only loves me, I only have value, I only have worth when I do the right things. But if you've accepted God's gift of forgiveness, which if you haven't, I'm going to give you an opportunity before our time is up together. God has already begun to work in you. He's taken away your sin and your shame, and he's begun to mold you into his image to be more like him. So don't allow others to heap shame and doubt into your life about the work that God is doing. But Nathan, I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes. Listen, we all do. That doesn't mean that God's not working in you. That's why Paul says that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is a process, a process that will not be completed on earth. And when we live under shame, we ignore the ways that God has grown us. A mentor of mine several years ago always said this to me, and it's one of our points, write this down. You may not be where you want to be, but thank God you're not where you were. Sometimes we're so focused on the ways that we're not good enough, so focused on the areas that we still need to grow and be better. But by only focusing on the ways that we need to grow, we fail to realize the way that God has already grown us. And listen, we we should always be striving to be better, to live for Christ, but don't let your desire to be more like Christ blind you to the fact that God is shaping you to be more like him and has already started to do that work in you. That's why Paul says that the old has passed away, The new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So that's the first mindset. Here's the second one, if you're taking notes. Who I am matters more than what they say. Oftentimes, our critics can be unrelenting. They can find faults in just about anything that we do. And it's easy to place ourselves back under this shame mindset that I just have to be a better person. I have to be perfect. Hear me out. Even if you could be perfect, people would still criticize you. How do I know? Well, let's look at the one person who was perfect. The Bible says that Jesus lived a sinless life, but he did not live a life free from criticism. His critics could pick apart even the most noble act. So how did Jesus respond in these moments? Well, Peter tells us that he never sinned, nor did he deceive anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Did you see that? He did not retaliate, even when he was insulted. He did not threaten revenge. Instead, he trusted in God. You see, Jesus realized a truth that many of us need to internalize, that who I am matters more than what they say. What God thinks about you matters infinitely more than what your critics think about you. And oftentimes, our response is to cut back, to criticize them, even to defend ourselves. But a person who is confident in who they are in Christ does not need to do those things. If you know a critic is waiting for you at home, your solution is not to be the perfect person that you could never be in order to silence their words. Your solution is simply to remain confident in the truth of who God says you are. And God says that you are redeemed, beloved, set free, made new, and righteous in his sight. Now, this is not an excuse to never grow or receive feedback. There may be areas you need to improve. But by internalizing our faults, it only leads to shame. And Jesus set us free from shame on the cross. So that's the second mindset. Here's the third one. In Christ, I have a joyful life. Listen, I know what it's like to be around people who are overly negative. That person enters the room and immediately you know that they're going to bring everybody's mood down. I mean, what new problem do you have to share? What new conspiracy theory about the end of the world will you shove down our throats this time? It's easy to allow other people's negativity to rub off on us. It's easy to allow their problems to become our problems. It's easy to allow a bad attitude to spread from one person to the next. Martin Luther is quoted as saying that you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Meaning that there will always be negative thoughts or problems to think about. People actually may be shoving them in your face. The negativity may be potent. You can't stop them from flying over your head, but you can stop them from becoming internalized. You can stop them from building a nest in your hair and bringing you down. Scripture says that finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that's important for us to know. You can choose what you think on. You can choose what molds and shapes your attitudes. It's interesting the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird is that a vulture eats dead things all day. Why does a vulture eat only dead things? Well, it's because it's only looking for dead things. And if you look for dead things, you can find dead things. But why does a hummingbird eat only sweet things? Well, it's because it's only looking for sweet things. And if you want to find things to complain about, you will. There's plenty out there. But If you want to find things to praise God for, you will. There's plenty out there. A life with Christ is a life of joy, indescribable, unexplainable joy. And if someone is trying to force negativity down your throat, listen to 2 Timothy 2.16. It says, avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Now, Paul here is speaking against people who are teaching a false gospel and trying to shove it down people's throats. But notice his solution isn't argue with them and prove them that they're wrong. It's don't even engage, avoid it. It's simply gonna lead to more and more ungodliness. So if you have that family member that you know is trying to enter into a debate with you about politics or touchy topics or conspiracy theories, Paul is saying avoid irreverent babble. Don't engage, don't allow others' negativity to overshadow the joy that you have in Christ. Okay, so we've learned that the holidays can be a time where families come together and there's a lot of laughs and love. But we've also learned that it can be a very painful time with backbiting and criticism. We've learned that when people try to heap shame of our past on us, we need to remember that we are made new in Christ. We've learned that when people criticize us, who I am matters more than what they say. And we've learned that when negativity is all around us, in Christ I have a joyful life as you go into this holiday season, keep these mindsets at the front of your mind. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Nathan, this sounds all well and good, but you don't know my family. You have no idea the family dynamic that I'm going home to this December, and if you did, you would just throw away this list because it just wouldn't work, and honestly, I kind of feel that way about my family. As I was writing this, I kept thinking in my mind about all of the ways that they would find ways around all of the mindsets that I've listed. I understand that there are some families that are just toxic. And for those of us who wanna follow Jesus and honor him with our mind, thoughts, and actions, it can be really difficult when we're around families like that. I understand that. For a long time, I felt that struggle. I wanted to live at peace with my family. I wanted to live a life of joy and forgiveness, but I felt like I was the only one trying. I felt like they were actively creating a toxic environment that led to fighting and pain. If that's you, I wanna leave you with one verse. It's from Romans. It says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you have your outline, underline, as far as it depends on you. For many of us, we need to realize that to live peaceably with someone sometimes means to not be in proximity to them. If you've done the work, if you've actively tried to reconcile, you've looked at yourself and your own actions and thoughts and you've taken responsibility and things are not trending positively, you do not have to continue to expose yourself to that toxic environment. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to set up boundaries and limit your exposure. I just started a part-time job teaching high school at a local Christian school in the Lower Mainland. And I love it. It's incredible to see the wide range of students that I've gotten in my class. Students who go above and beyond and students who couldn't care less. Now, oftentimes these students get paired up together in group projects. And as a teacher, I know exactly who put in the work and who coasted along. We all know what it's like to do a group project where it feels like you're doing all the work and your partner isn't putting in any effort. And maybe that's how you feel like in your relationship with your family. Listen, when I mark these types of projects, I mark based off of the effort put in by each student. And God does the same. Listen, forgiveness and reconciliation is not a group project. You will not get a lower grade because the other person isn't participating. God looks at your effort. He looks at your heart. You can't control whether someone else is willing to humble themselves and reconcile. You can only control what you do. Remember, you can't control others' thoughts and actions, but you can control your own. I know this holiday season will be tough for a lot of people, but even if the environment is toxic, you can walk away knowing that you honor God, your family, and yourself by the way you carried yourself. You can't control others' thoughts and actions, but you can control your own. As we close, I want to bring us back to maybe those of us who feel like we have a past, that we can't live down, a past that is weighing on us. Maybe we've made mistakes, we've done wrong things, and we feel the weight of our shame on our shoulders. I want you to know that Jesus died for you on the cross, and he took your sin and shame on his shoulders, and he died with it so that you could be free of that punishment and that moral debt. And now he wants to offer you an opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. And I want to give you that opportunity right now So wherever you're at, whether you're watching at home with friends, why don't you just bow your heads and close your eyes and and just pray this. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it under your breath or in your mind. But if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, repeat after me. Say, God, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've turned my own way and I've done my own thing. I don't deserve your love. I could never earn your love. But today I choose to accept this gift of forgiveness that you offer me. I choose to turn away from my sin. I choose to follow you. I know I won't be perfect, but I know that I'm a child of God. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. And Lord, I just wanna pray a special prayer over every person watching that is maybe going home to a holiday season, a family situation that they know is gonna be difficult. God, I pray that you would help us to go into these encounters with the right mindsets at the front of our mind. Help us to honor you, our families, and ourselves by our thoughts and actions. Give us the strength to take the higher road. Give us the strength to live like you did, even when it's difficult. Pray this all in your name, amen. Listen, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, the best advice I can give you is to text the number on the screen. You can reach out to a pastor. We would love to share with you what your next steps are in your faith. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have an amazing Sunday.